From Orange County, California, you are listening to Taking Flight with Captain Michael Rocket Blackstone. That almost sounds like a fake name. Maybe Marvel's next superhero? Might want to check into that. This is a different type of aviation podcast that is not hosted by a tech geek know-it-all or communist sympathizing wacko, no. Lucky for you, I am your host. With over 30 years and 30,000 hours of flying high-performance aircraft all over the world, 21 years at a major airline, and with over 25 years in the extremely challenging flying business, I hope to become your personal coach to get you started in your career in aviation as a pilot and to help you identify and survive this industry's many pitfalls and booby traps along the way. This podcast is my personal commitment to helping you succeed in making your dreams of flying for a living or as a hobby come true. We're trying to avoid that happening to your career because that's got to hurt. You are listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone, Episode 3 today. We are breaking down the Pitts S2C, built by Aviat Aircraft. Uh, I've owned these airplanes uh, for over 20 years. The Pitts has been a member of our family. It's an incredible opportunity and a uh, privilege to have been able to fly them for all these years. Having the Pitts as my first aircraft really changed the game for me. It it brought aviation to a level of satisfaction and fun that you really can't get from any other aircraft. And uh, I was lucky to have a dad that had a Pitts. He had the earlier model, the S2A, back in the, uh, the early 80s. That was the first two-seat Pitts. It became the the two-seat trainer for the competition aerobatic airplane that was winning all the championships uh, all the way through, literally through the 80s and, and early 90s. That, that airplane really dominated the the aerobatic uh, competition and airshow world for over 30 years. It was built by a, f- a fellow named Curtis Pitts. It was designed back in 1946, and it went through several iterations. It, you know, when you see the aircraft, you, you'll you'll it has an in, in a very distinctive look to it. It's a very tiny biplane, a two-wing uh, airplane that has uh, a symmetrical wing on it. And so what happens is, is the wing has the same curve on the top as it does on the bottom. And Curtis designed this airplane this way so it would be able to fly just as well upside down as it does right side up. And, and that is a true statement. This airplane is very, very stable, uh, both inverted and upright. And it doesn't seem to care what its what its uh, actual attitude is relative to the wind. Another beautiful feature about having a biplane, you know, I could go I could talk about this airplane in, in intricate details because I have uh, so much time and in, in, in 30 years of flying them in, in my family and moving into the, the S2C model, which is their latest uh, version of the aircraft. It, it really, really has, has become such an incredible flying machine uh, right up to its its current production version, which is the C model, with this its clipped wings now, 
It went from rounded elliptical uh, shaped wings to squared off wingtips. They got rid of the spades on the the S2B and and prior models had spades, little shovels under the wings that grabbed the air so that the that the stick forces would be lighter for the pilot when they're when they're rolling. So when they move the stick left and right, those little shovels would would uh, would come up on one side and down on the other and grab the air and and help lighten the stick forces for ailerons. Well. It's a pretty great way to to give you uh, aerodynamic power steering in the aileron uh, left and right, uh, you know, uh, regime. But when you're going forward and back in the other axis, in 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 the elevator, you would have a, a very heavy elevator on the B model, and uh, and a lot of forward pressure on the stick required to fly the airplane inverted. Even though the wing was symmetrical, the elevator was was not quite balanced. So what, what the factory did at Aviat uh, with, the, with the C model and uh, what we had was the, the third one off the assembly line. Our, our aircraft was serial number 6003. It had a much larger elevator, which lightened the elevator force. And it had much larger ailerons, which lightened the roll force. And they took the spades off and they, they did what they called squared the stick forces in the the pilot's hand so he would feel the same on all axes so when he's rolling to the left he had about 15 pounds of force rolling to the right about 15 pounds of force forward stick 15 back stick 15 and even the rudders were balanced to be a similar uh, amount of, of force required to get a a very balanced feel in the aircraft they significantly improved the way the aircraft flew in uh both in the pattern and normal flying conditions, just working, you know, uh, upright flying and, and cross countrying, but really uh, enhanced its its performance in the aerobatic uh, box, so it could it could it could do well and compete with these monoplanes that that started to dominate and do dominate the industry today at the higher levels of aerobatics. But the the Pitts S two C, some of its of its great uh, qualities and 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 flying characteristics. 300 degrees per second of roll rate. That's just awesome. You know, when you put that stick over to the side, all the way to the stops, a touch of left pedal in the direction of the roll, and that roll rate flicks around at at nearly one roll per second. Uh, it's pretty beautiful, and, and, it, and it has such a nice balanced feel as, as that stick force increases and the roll rate increases. You get what you want, and the moment you snap that stick back to the center, you end up with a very crisp stop. So, the, the, the Pitts S2C has just beautiful roll performance and, uh, and removing the, the spades really made the airplane handle just beautifully. It's also a, a, they increased the, the G capability, the negative G capability of the, the C model Pitts. The earlier models, the Bs and the As and, and prior models were a plus six, minus three aircraft. So what that means is the airplane's able to take six times the force of gravity when you're moving the stick aft, and it's and it's making the aircraft feel positive G heavier. And negative Gs is when you take the stick and you and you push forward or you roll the airplane inverted and push forward on the stick. And it was very limited in its outside capability or its negative G capability in the in the prior models. But the C model, um, the Curtis Pitts factory and Aviat had decided they were going to strengthen the top wing and allow it to uh, make it more capable, negative G capability, so we could do up to minus five and do the outside maneuvers, the outside loops and the negative tumbles and things that require a little bit more push, a little bit more negative, and they didn't want to overstress the aircraft by uh, by by 
allowing the pilots or encouraging the pilots to push harder than what the airplane's capable of and making the wings stronger allowed the airplane to do more negative g's so the minus five really allowed the pits to stay in the game longer and to continue to compete at very high levels in the aerobatic world and currently the pits is capable of doing unlimited aerobatics um, maybe not win at the uh, unlimited aerobatic uh, categories but it can certainly compete there and it's an awesome air show airplane as you'll see uh, the current guys that fly it a little shout out to a friend of mine skip stewart uh, he's a fedex pilot he he does an amazing air show in his highly modified uh pits it's a b model with a ton of uh ton of mods and it's there's not much left of it as a uh, as a as a stock airplane but it's an unbelievable performance if you haven't seen skip stewart search for him you'll find an incredible show uh done by uh, that gentleman, low altitude, crazy aerobatics with a lot of smoke and, and a great air show f- for sure. Uh, another friend of mine that, that flies the the pits uh, is Michael Whiskus. And Michael Whiskus flies for Lucas Oil. I, I met him at the Huntington Beach Air Show uh, a couple of years in a row uh, back in uh, 17 and 18. And uh, he's an incredible aerobatic pits pilot. He'd be happy to tell you, I'm sure, about all the things that he loves about the pits. His is highly modified as well, and he puts on an incredible show. The pits that I flew and 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 did our rides in at Sky Thrills for for many many years was a stock pits. It had to be aerobatic. It had to be certified. And it had to be um, a factory-built airplane, so so that you could legally take people for rides and 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 charge a, a, a price for it. So so if you're looking at an airplane, the first thing you're going to be wanting to look for is make sure you get a factory-built certified aircraft, either a S2A, an S2B, or an S2C. And don't let me talk you into the C. It's it's definitely more money. There is. Uh, plenty of great S2Bs out there that can do a really great job in a, in, a, in a ride operation if you wanted to do aerobatic thrill rides. But if you want to uh, to really experience what the latest pits has to offer and you can find a S2C model out there somewhere, uh, go ahead and, and ch- check it out. See if you can, you can justify the difference in cost. If it's worth it to you, I loved the airplane. I always go by the, the method of get what you want and, and figure out a way to, to justify it, you know, so, you know, you can talk yourself out of just about anything, but if you, if you get the aircraft that you really love and you really want to, want to fly and it's in great condition and it's the one I bought had 70 hours on it. So it had all new paint. It was a new machine. It had all new interior. It was beautiful. So I felt it was, it was worth paying the extra money to get a, the C model, which flew better, looked better had uh had a much younger airframe and, and nicer paint on it and and all of the things that I wanted and it and it shows well. So when you're going to do an a an aviation business, it's important that your aircraft looks good. And not only is is a is a great airplane and 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 mechanically sound, but it has to look good. It has to show well because people that don't know much about airplanes, that first thing they look at is is does it have any door dings? Um is it any rust? You know, so if you start to see these kinds of things on airplanes, it, it freaks people out. So uh, my attitude was was always go nicer, buy the nicest airplane you can afford, and then figure out a way to to put the pedal to the metal and, and, and generate some sales and get out there and 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 be a good a good shepherd of aviation and be a good uh, uh, seller of rides. By of course you got to love it, but 
it's also about presentation as well. And and when you get out there, you want to you want to show what you can do in your confidence and in the way you fly it, but also the way you present aviation to people. So here's what's uh, the nuts and bolts of the Pitts S2C. It has a Lycoming engine. Uh, it's it's a bulletproof engine. It's made in America. It's the it's the AEIO 540 D4A5. It's a 260 horsepower uh, engine with a Hartzell claw three bladed composite propeller, an amazing power plant and propeller combination. This airplane, literally, I've, out of all the airplanes I've owned over the years, had the smoothest running, nicest uh, uh, balance. It it had tons of power. It didn't have any uh, any lag or delay or any shaking. This thing really, really has a an incredible uh, feel to it. The instantaneous throttle response and the propeller really had a lot of bite to it. So I would highly recommend the Hartzell Claw. And I know for sure that that Hartzell Claw is a very expensive propeller. I've never replaced one, but I had a friend who did. And it's it's in the $40,000 range for that propeller. The engine on this aircraft is a brand new one would be in the sixty or 70000 range. So so firewall forward, uh, you're looking, you know, way over a hundred and you know, twenty thousand dollars for 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 the firewall forward, and it's worth it. That's that is the proper engine and and propeller combo that I would want to have on on my pits. Uh, if I were to buy another one, that's what I would get. The um, speeds on this thing and the weights. Well, the, well, the airplane only weighs eleven hundred and fifty five pounds empty. That's what the factory uh, is 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 calling out on their website, uh, and it max maxes out max gross weight of seventeen hundred pounds. So if you think about that, this thing has a two hundred and sixty horsepower engine on a twelve hundred pound airframe. Wow, I mean it's it is shocking when you start to push the power up on this airplane on takeoff. The it it nearly leaps off the ground, and in five seconds it's airborne. And that is actually not not an an understatement. It's it literally is in the air in less than five seconds. If you have any headwind at all, or you're you're going solo and you're light on fuel, that thing could be three seconds into the air, which is is just incredible. So, thrust to weight ratio ridiculous, and that is what makes this airplane really shine. So when you and you're looking at airplanes, you you think, oh, I want the bigger one, or I want the you know the fancier one, and in reality of it is is what you really want is the smallest airplane possible with the largest air engine hanging on the front of it and with just enough wings to get you in the air and and let it go fast. So this airplane can cruise at 160 to 180 miles per hour and it's going to burn a lot of gas if you're doing that. So it it, it it's talking about on their website, I believe about the cruise speed about 150 knots, about 100 and you know, 160 miles an hour. So it's, it's not the fastest airplane in the world. And that's because of the drag that the second wing brings to this airplane. So when you have a double wing configuration, a biplane, it's, it comes at a penalty. So you have amazing low speed capabilities. You have amazing, uh, almost hovering capabilities. You can really maneuver this airplane amazingly well at very, very slow speeds. But where you start to suffer a little bit is at the high speed. So she reaches her maximum speed at, at, a, at 212 miles per hour is the red line, 184 knots for those of you who, who prefer knots. 
Pitts and Aviat certify this aircraft in miles per hour. So uh, I'll tend to to talk in miles per hour so that when you look when you fly one, you look at the gauge, you'll see the numbers that we were talking about. So, um, so 212 miles per hour. That's pretty fast for a biplane. Uh, when you start to see the new airplanes, the 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 monoplanes without the top wing on it, they can they can push way past 180. They're into the 230. Uh, 220, 230 knot range. Uh, that's a significant difference in 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 top end speed that you can use to do big vertical moves. So so that's the the penalty. But I think it's a small price to pay for the 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 low speed capability. So when you're flying this airplane and you're doing your 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 low speed maneuvers, this thing stalls it at 62 miles an hour. And you can fly it at very, very low speeds, sometimes sub sub stall speed, and still be able to control it be, beyond uh, the stall. And that's what's amazing about a biplane. I think you can feel the the wind passing between the wings. I've got better better ta- tactile feel of, of what's going on at the ailerons with the biplane than I do in the extra three hundred, for example. So. I really like that. I like that that raw feel. As I compare this airplane to others, and I I try to to be fair, uh, I love the way the pits feels because it, it's got su- you got such such a uh, an ability to feel what's happening at the wing due to the fabric and and the ailerons. Where like the extra three hundred, it's it's very synthetic feel. I feel like the pits is more of a stock car. Like a, uh, like a, like what you'd imagine at at a, at a stock car racing, you know, with you know days of thunder style, and the extra three hundred would be a little more refined, more like an Indy five hundred. So, so that's the way I, th- I think of them, and their slight uh, differences. Both super high performance, both cool, but in different ways. the The maximum climb performance on takeoff, the factory's calling for twenty nine hundred feet per minute, nearly three thousand feet a minute. A rate of climb initially at sea level is is a dream. Uh, many airplanes can, can't even dream of getting to that level unless you have something with a jet engine on it. And the Pitts is by far the, the best climber that I've flown in a piston aircraft. It, it climbs out steep, it climbs out strong, and you are at a thousand feet by the end of the runway. Um, or you keep it low and do the low transition and accelerate to 140 miles per hour on takeoff and zoom. And you can get obviously a significant boost on your climb performance initially, probably into the four, uh, 4,500 uh, feet per minute rate of climb and zoom to a thousand using that method as well. Both are fun, both are safe, but uh, that serious power to weight ratio allows this airplane really to climb well uh, on on hot days, even in, in uh, at, at sea level is where I flew it, but it, it does well even at higher altitudes. So you, you might find that interesting or, or useful if you fly at high altitude airports. The fuel burn. This thing burns on average, it it's, talks about it on their website, 14 and a half gallons per hour. That's its cruise at 75% power. On takeoff, you're, you're in the 20 to 30 gallon an hour range. The plane carries 23 gallons of gas in the main tank, and five gallons in an ox tank on the top wing, which cannot be used for aerobatics. So you can only use that for cross country. So what you really have is 23 gallons of fuel on board in a center tank be, it, below the top wing. It's sitting pretty much right on the, on the center of gravity, just in front of the, the front cockpit there, hanging from the, the, uh, 
uh, the, the fuselage from the top under above the knees of the uh, of the front passenger. But what you got to remember when you fly a pits is you're fuel critical when you take off. I mean, I don't want to make it make it scary or anything, but it's it's if you go wide open throttle and you leave it there and forget about it and you and you you leave your throttle wide open and you forget to start your stopwatch, you're you're about an hour from running out of fuel when you take off. So you'd have a 30 minutes worth of flying and you need to get back if you go wide open the entire time. And that's great if you're going to do an air show. But if you're going to go out and do like what I was doing, we were doing rides. So you'd get up, you'd pull the power back, pull it back to like 21, 22 inches. You'd roll back the RPMs to 25, 2400 RPM. And you get up there and you lean it a little bit and close the cowl flap and you can get this thing into the 14, 15 gallon hour range. And that gives you significantly more loiter time in your area which allows it to be a much longer flight and a much more fun flight and when I flew this airplane with passengers my number one goal was not to show you what the pits can do although that's a very tempting thing to do you got a great airplane it's like having your friend in 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 the Tesla and you want to show them that launch you know the ludicrous mode launch It, it it's fun for you. And it may not be so much fun for your passenger. So unless they're driving it, unless they're getting to do it, 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 it ends up being a, uh, an endurance contest of, of who cries uncle first. And, and I try to not make it that type of a watch this. I call it th- that the watch this approach. And you get people in your airplane and you say, watch this. And you tell them to you know be quiet and, and, and hold on. And it's not fun for them. So what my dad taught me when I was growing up and learning to fly the pits and what he taught his clients and what I ended up teaching my clients later was get them on the controls as soon as possible, even if they've never flown before, and get them moving the controls themselves, feeling how light the controls are, how little it's going to take to make it do what it needs to do. Get them on the rudder pedals too. Let them follow you through with the rudders. Let them work the controls on the stick. Let them work the stick. And you work the throttle, so I think the PIC should always be the work in the throttle. That's like your safety uh, uh, break, if you will. You can you work the throttle, let your student work the stick, you work the pedals until they're kind of doing pretty well on the stick, and then you can let them take over the pedals. But they need to feel what the rudders are doing all the time, because when you fly a pits, the engine is so big for such a small airplane that the plane is constantly going to the left. So if you don't use the rudders or don't think about it or you put your feet on the floor or let the guy in the back do the rudders, you don't really realize that. You don't feel the power of the airplane. So as you're flying in pits, on takeoff especially, it takes quite a bit of right rudder pedal pressure. And that right rudder pedal pressure will stay with you the whole flight. As long as there's power on that airplane and, and you're, you're, you're making horsepower, you need a little right rudder all the time. So what I teach my students is to move your right foot slightly ahead of your left foot on the floor now. Now just imagine this, you push your right foot forward just a little bit, a little pressure on the right pedal, drop your heel down onto the floor and let the friction from your shoe hold the pedal in the proper position. So it's kind of like having a rudder trim. Right pedal comes forward, heels on the floor, the rubber from your shoes holding it there, and you'll find that you have much better control of the rudder and you don't have to think about it as much. So as long as you're not changing the power setting, that rudder pedal input will be pretty constant. Now, speaking of of shoes and rudder and and rubber on the floor, uh, I I always wore a special shoe. And when I flew the pits for years, um, the thinner the shoe, the better. And I found myself flying in the pits 
because it's such a narrow gap between the rudder pedal and the student's bottom, literally, I mean, like his, his the seat bottom in front of you is just about parallel with the rudder pedals. So you need a narrow shoe so that you can keep your shoe from dragging on your 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 students uh, bottom if it, if the bottom or the seat bottom cushion itself. So I, I ended up with a pretty narrow shoe and I ended up with a racing shoe. I used Simpson racing shoes for years. Um, it's a car racing shoe for 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 racing Indy 500 cars or go karts or whatever. I really like those shoes. The downside to them though is they have zero support. So when you're walking around on the ramp for 12 hours in a day and you have no no sole on the bottom of your shoe, they're like a quarter of an inch thick, they kind of hurt your feet. But for flying, they're amazing. They were amazing for flying. They're a soft uh, leather shoe um, that that is fireproof as well. If you ever needed that, that'd be great. But um, I, I mostly like them for the, the narrowness and the thinness of the bottom of the shoe. So my foot can move smoothly and I can I can feel the rudder pedals. And another important feature is that I can feel the brakes. And on landing is really the only time we're ever really going to get back to using them. I use them in the run-up area and I use them uh, really for for only decelerating the aircraft to taxi speed once uh, the landing ground roll is complete and I'm slowing the airplane to taxi speed. Really, that's the only time you're going to use the brakes. And on the brakes on the pits, super simple braking system on this. Each brake caliper is connected independently to its respective brake. So there's a small reservoir on the pedal of the PIC, the aft seat, is where the uh, brake caliper, uh, I'm sorry, the brake reservoir is where we we fill that up with 5606 hydraulic fluid and and, and keep it really pretty close to full, not all the way, but but almost like just to the bottom of the threads. And then it has an aluminum uh, threaded cap that that stays down tight and it, it doesn't leak. They're, they're sealed. They are uh, perfect. And I've never really had a brake in a pits. The brakes feel in a pits ever spongy. Like some other airplanes, you get to where the brakes are soft and squishy and one's braking a little stronger than the other in the pits. They've been beautiful, easy to maintain, never felt any sort of a soft brake or squishy on one side and soft and hard on the other. Very, very positive braking, very effective braking, and uh, really, really symmetrical, which I love. When you're dealing with the tail dragger like the pits, that's critical. And, and I don't use the brakes to steer the airplane. It has a steerable, ta- a steerable tail wheel. And the tail wheel is a Scott tail wheel, I believe the, is what the factory likes to use. I've used both. Um, this tail wheel has got the big giant bigger, I should say, tail wheel where it's a, it's a solid rubber, uh, approximately six inch, you know, five and a half inch, six inch disc of, of solid rubber. And I like the solid rubber because it doesn't ever require air, which is great. But at some point they start to dry out and they could start to crack and they could fragment and you can get a chunk of the tire to break off. And that really would affect your ability to handle on the ground during a, uh, during the landings would be the most t- most important time for that not to happen. So uh, what I did on, on our pits is, on my pits, 
is run that tailwheel until I start to see it starting to elongate on one side. It starts to cone just slightly. Uh, or if I see any cracking or if, if any sort of chunk of rubber, small chunk or otherwise starts to break away from from the main piece of rubber uh, making up the entire wheel or tire section, that's when you got to change that tire out. So uh, keeping track of the, of the, the age of the tire and how long it's been since you've, you've changed it. Uh, it's condition is critical in this airplane. You can't mess around with, with tires. So let's talk about tires briefly. I've always used flight custom threes, uh, for the, the pits. They are the best tire. I believe it's a Goodyear product. I can look it up and verify it, but anybody who's, if you're looking for tires for these types of airplanes, it's a 5005, which is 5.00 by five. So that, that means it's a five ply tire. I use the best tire I could get and the, the, most, the most solid um, sidewall. And then I would buy a brand new tire, so I'd been match them. I'd buy two new tires for the front of the pits. I would run them down till they are starting to get within maybe a quarter inch uh, of tread remaining, and then I'd send them out to Desert Tire, and they would retread them. Now, not to be cheap, because pilots uh, sometimes will go the cheap method. I don't go with the retread to save money. I go with the retread because I like the sidewall of the flight custom three tire, but I want a little deeper tread. So when they do wear out or get close to wearing out, I'll retread them with a, with a deeper tread and they last a really long time and they track beautifully and, uh, really positive control. Another important thing about tires on the pits is to keep the, the, the pressure inflated to the proper pressure. Never let them get low. Remember when you're flying a pits, or any of these of smaller aircraft, you'll find that the tires, the tire pressure will determine how, the, how well and how straight the plane will track. So you want the tires to be equally inflated. I believe we used to run in around the 38 PSI range on the pits and on the main tires and don't let them get low. So I know it's hard to put air in the tire sometimes with the wheel pants on them. Get get in the habit of checking the tires bringing the pressure up as you as you change seasons and the, and the temperature cools and you need to add some air in the wintertime, do it. Don't, don't let the tires get low on the pits. If the, if the tire pressure is allowed to go low, here's what could happen. As you're zigzagging, as you taxi the tail dragger pits, I'll explain how to, how to taxi it in a minute, but the, the, the swerving of, a, of the tail dragger doing its, its S-turns on its way around the airport taxiing, with a low tire pressure, will start to scrub or scuff the the tube that's inside this tire. These tires are like bicycle tires. They have a tube inside. So anytime you change the tires, that's another thing, is just to change the tube as well. But don't allow the tires to get so low because that will allow the the tube to get possibly pinched in the inside the tire itself, and you can get a puncture and get the tire to go flat even without bullseyeing the tire, which is locking up a tire or, or puncturing the tire with a, you know, taxiing over a nail or something. But the tire can actually go flat on its own just by 
improper tire pressure. So make sure you keep tire uh, pressures properly inflated on the pits. It's it's great for handling. It, it taxis a lot better, and it will not give you the misfortune of having a tire failure inside the tube or inside the tire itself. It'll go flat without even puncturing it or or locking it up. So that is one more way to have a have a a much more pleasant experience in the pits. So moving forward to the takeoff rule, uh, the, the manual is talking about on the Aviat website is takeoff distance of 554 feet of ground roll. That's ridiculous. And it's very true. And, and the, the key to, to flying a pits properly is smoothness and finesse. And, and I fly it a little differently. Now, some, some guys, you know, when you fly hardcore aerobatic competition, the goal is very abrupt and uh, ratchety and clicky uh, type of, of movements on the stick. And it makes for a very rough ride. And in an airplane like a Pitts that is so responsive, I don't like to fly it like that because I know that the people that I fly with or have tended to been flying with me have not had a lot of flying experience. So really aggressive stick inputs, really aggressive um, pitch inputs really makes people queasy fast. So you can fly it like that. And it's, it's easy to always work up towards that. If you're Michael Goulian and you're, you're going to do your, your 16 point roll and, and, and ratchet rolls and clicks very, very precise inputs of the roll rate. I, I totally understand that. And, and rapid adjustments to pitch up to 45 degrees and they do it in one big movement and stop. It's very, very important to fly it like that for competition. But when you're learning to fly this airplane and when you are, are teaching in this airplane, if you're doing rides in this airplane, because I'm tending to talk about this from a, a business standpoint, if you bought this airplane and you want to do rides in it, please try to refrain from giving your student or your your passenger, your first-time rider, that that thrill of a lifetime and make them sick on their very first uh, experience in the pits. We don't want to do that. So when you're when you're flying it, smooth inputs is always important. Let them fly the airplane as much as possible. You're going to learn to speak fast and clear and strong into the headset repeatedly so that people can understand you as well as helping to give them positive reinforcement that they're doing it right. So as you're flying along, you'll continuously be talking them through, you know, a little more to the left, a little more left stick, a little more right stick, a little more back stick, a little more pull. That's good. Relax the back pressure, neutralize a little more right pedal here. Relax the right pedal. Give me some left pedal. It's that. And that's what it takes to fly the pits properly and to make it more fun for, for the rider. So now on the takeoff roll, here we're going to talk about how fast this thing gets into the air. And, um, you know, when we take the runway, first things first, when you take the runway in your pits, make sure you've got the, the mixture full rich, make sure you've got the, uh, the prop full forward, make sure you've got the cowl flap open and the trim set in the proper position for the elevator. Flight controls free, pedals are, are clear out under the runway. Canopy is closed and locked. Super important thing about flying a pits is to make sure that you latch the canopy before you start the engine and don't unlatch the canopy until the engine is shut down back at the at the at the chocks. Um, it's so easy to lose this canopy. And and I, I was fortunate enough to have never lost it. But I know many that have lost the canopy, and it's 
expensive and it's embarrassing. And it's hard on the airplane because it comes off the airplane as it unlatches and comes back and up and over and to the right, which is the way it opens. And then it departs the aircraft and it'll hit the tail, usually hit the right horizontal stabilizer and or the rudder and then shatter into a million pieces. And it's really expensive. So um, to avoid that, when you're on a shoestring budget and you're you're starting your pits flying business, that would really be a huge setback. And um, we want to try to avoid that. So taking the runway, canopies closed and locked, confirmed, closed and latched, mixtures full rich, props full forward, cowl flap is open, trim is set, and you're going to push the throttle up. And as you push the throttle up on the pits, remember there's just a massive amount of horsepower and torque on this very small airplane. The throttles are coming forward, stick is coming forward, and the right rudder is starting to increase right pedal pressure as the throttle reaches wide open. The throttle is is set, and now the only thing left to do is maintain directional control of the airplane with just enough right rudder to keep it from drifting left, and you're going to be tracking right down the center line, and enough forward pressure on the stick to raise the tail up just high enough to see. Now, some guys will say raise that tail all the way up so that the plane is exactly level with the with the horizon. I'm a little different. I tend to leave it slightly tail low so that I can have the airplane set in an attitude so it will break ground as soon as it can. So I leave what I would say is a a positive angle of attack on the wing. So it has just a little bite of of air there as it it gets speed underneath the wing and gets just a little bit of lift coming over the wings that the, the wing will start to develop lift and it'll start to fly sooner. And as it starts to lift off the ground, I will, uh, I will increase the back pressure just a little bit. As it starts to lift, I might squeeze a little forward and I'm neutralizing. I'm going to make it fly off flat. That's the key is I want it to, as the lift increases, I'll put a little forward pressure. As it starts to build up more speed, a little more forward pressure, but it's going to fly off all in on its own. I don't tell the pits when it's ready to fly. It it lets me know when it's ready to fly. As the speed increases, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, it's airborne. And... If it's not airborne, it's close to it. And then it's just a slight little squeeze of back pressure as as it's breaking ground and I don't jerk it into the air and I don't hold it onto the ground. So if that makes any sense to you, neutralize the stick, slight forward pressure on it. As soon as the power is coming up, I'm raising the tail as the power is coming up, sticks coming forward, right, pe- right rudder pedal pressure is increasing and I'm holding it straight down the center line. If there's any crosswind at all, if there's any wind from either side, a slight amount of aileron or stick in that direction to stop that drift. If I have a little left crosswind, so a little left stick would be in order and a touch of right pedal to stop it from, from drifting. So if left aileron would cause the airplane to start to roll left, a little right rudder would, would keep it straight on the runway. Three, two, one, she's airborne. Stay flat, stay low and accelerate to 140. Nice, smooth, steady back pressure and climb out at three to 4,000 feet a minute. It is a joy to fly this airplane off of any airport, um, particularly at sea level. You get a lot of horsepower and on a cool morning, nothing like it. It's 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 something you'll never forget. First takeoff in a pits, uh, especially solo. Landing the pits. The C model is amazing. So if you love tail draggers, you've flown Satabrias, 
you uh, are a, a cub driver, you have a, some T6 time, you, you're a Warbird fan, um, you're going to love the Pitts. The Pitts is the greatest aerobatic plane with a tail dragger on it, I, I feel, ever made. But it, it will make you really pay attention to your feet, uh, during, especially during takeoffs and landings, so that you don't go off the runway, which is really hard on the aircraft So, and on your ego. But we want to try to keep the airplane straight as an arrow. When you fly this airplane, you want to depart the runway getting airborne with the wheels exactly aligned with the concrete and lift off straight as an arrow. And when you land, same thing. No matter what direction the wind's coming from, you're going to land this airplane with the runway and the wheels exactly aligned and it's going to land straight as an arrow. Now, my technique is usually power off. I will come in with, uh, you know, kind of high downwind. If I'm going to do just a base, you know, uh, base to final, if I have a control tower, it'd be like a downwind entry at Fullerton. It was left base to final power's coming back. Mixture is coming rich. Cal flap is somewhere in the middle left wing down a little top rudder, a little right rudder from a thousand feet above the ground to beam the numbers. The plane will be able to make it down from less than a quarter to a half a mile for sure. So as I'm downwind to beam, relatively tight to the field, left wing down, start my turn in. If I feel a little high, I touch a right rudder, forward pressure on the stick, and keep the nose down to maintain the speed, controlling the uh, direction towards the runway, arcing towards the towards the concrete that you're going to land on with uh, with aileron. So you're steering it towards the runway with, with the aileron. So a little left aileron to steer it, a little right rudder to control the rate of descent. If I feel a little high, a little forward pressure, a little more right rudder, and I come down nice and steep. We call this this slipping approach, this this uh, forward slip. Left wing down, top rudder, push. And keep the angle of attack off the wing so that you don't, you don't stall the wing. So we're coming down using a ton of drag using the rudder. I'm not coming down using drag by making more lift by pulling. So it's an important distinction. Never pull when you're descending to land. You'll always think forward pressure, forward stick, and reduce the angle of attack on the wing and keep the nose down so that you can maintain your speed, which is going to be 100 miles an hour all the way in. And uh, if you're a little heavy, it's a little hot, I might use a little higher speed, a little 105, maybe maybe even up to 110 uh, with a higher descent rate. So forward pressure, top pedal, push, once you get uh, about 100 feet, maybe 50 feet, uh, you're going to start taking some of that slip out. And as you cross the threshold, the wings are going to start to come to level. You're going to set yourself up in a tail low, uh, tail low attitude, powers off, airspeed starting to roll back from 100. If there's a little wind from the left, a little left aileron, and uh, maybe a little right pedal. And you're going to touch down tail low in a wheel landing type format where you're going to catch the mains and then put the tail on the ground, and then stick all the way back into your lap with the aileron in the direction of the wind. And then I think about my feet, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. It's just about that cadence. It's not left, right, left, right, full slam it to the stops. It's just left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. And I want to know where the rudder and the tailwheel are throughout the entire ground roll. So I'm getting a a feedback loop going. I'm, I'm moving the pedal to see 
Am I getting what I want? Is Do I need to use more input? If it's um, a little fast, it's a little less input. As I start to decelerate, it's a little more input, but I'm just doing what it takes to stay on the center line. So that's it. That's flying the Pitts S2C from takeoff to landing. The area where it really shines is in the aerobatic box, in the aerobatic area. Once you get this airplane up to a safe altitude and you're, and you're geared up for it, you're wearing your parachute, you got your helmet on, you got your, your goggles down, you got your chin strap on, you're cinched up in the seat. We always used the hooker harness in the pits, which is a double lap belt situation with a ratchet on the side and on the left side. So the ratchet would be to crank down all of the slack out of the lap belt. That is where all of the the slack can be removed, and that's where all of the tension needs to be felt before you do heavy aerobatics in this airplane. You want the seat belt really tight. And when I say tight, I say, you know, cinch down until it's kind of kind of snug, and then I put a few more clicks on it till I'm actually starting to feel a little bit of borderline pain. I don't like to lift up off the seat. So when we fly inverted, I won't feel my bottom coming off the seat cushion three inches. I, that, that's not good. So I ratchet the seatbelt down, put a couple more clicks on it, make sure the shoulder harnesses are snug but not crazy. That's not really what's holding me, and that keeps me from coming forward in the seat. The lap belt's where it's at, and then also the center strap. So the, uh, the one between your knees, pull that one a little tighter as well. Now you're secure. You can start off your aerobatics with some basic rolls. I always like to start off our students with a gentle roll to the left, a gentle roll to the right, a nice aileron roll. And it's not to see how fast it'll roll, although it will roll fast, 300 degrees per second. It's to work on coordination and smoothness. So power set at maybe 24 inches, 22 inches, 2400 RPM, mixtures back a little bit, cow flaps partway open, and dive for a little speed. Everything works better with a little speed. So dive on down, get to 140 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour. Gently pull back on the stick. Bring your nose up nice and high above the horizon. Relax the back pressure. Nice and neutral with the stick before you begin your your deployment of the aileron in in the direction you'd like to roll. So if we're going to go to the left, we throw the stick to the left. The left ailerons are coming up. The right ailerons are coming down. Well, what's going to happen now is the plane's going to start to roll left, but it will also start to yaw to the right. So as you're rolling left, you need to put in left pedal, tiny bit of left rudder to compensate for the right yaw that's going to occur during that left roll. So again, so gently pull back on the stick, get the nose up nice and high, relax the back pressure, neutralize, and straight across with the stick to the left with a little bit of left pedal. Hold it until you reach very close to the to the level position coming out the, the other side of your roll and neutralize the stick, come off the rudder, and do this smoothly, repeatedly. Do them to the left, do them to the right. Well, when you roll to the right, you're going to do the same exact setup, except when you roll to the right, you're going to notice it doesn't take as much right pedal as it does left pedal when you're rolling left. It has to do with the fact of the direction of rotation of the propeller. So practice your rolls left, practice your rolls to the right, practice smoothness, finesse, and starting and stopping exactly wings level and not losing any altitude. The, the more you practice that, then you can start to increase your speed and your execution with how much deployment and how quickly you move the stick. 
Let's start off smooth and easy at first. Two things are going to happen. It's going to be more pleasant for your riders. You're going to enjoy it more. It feels better. And you'll see where your errors are if you have any. You're not masking them with speed. The next maneuver I tend to do right after the, the rolls is the loop. Again, check your seatbelt. Make sure you're nice and tight. Dive down, accelerate. In the pits, you're going to push for 160, maybe 160, 170 miles per hour, maybe even 180. Diving, building speed. As you accelerate in the pits, the nose is coming down. Retrim the, the elevator to, take, to make the elevator feel, make the stick feel nice in your hand. So push a little down, trim on the elevator with your left hand. Throttle set at maybe 24 inches, 24, 2500 RPM is what I would use. And from 170 miles per hour indicated, gently pull back, get your plane to level, note your altitude, and then tell yourself three, two, one, pull nice and smooth back on the stick. And as you're pulling, the first thing you're going to, you're going to want to do is as you pull back on the stick is you're going to want to look to the side. Look out the side window when you're doing your, your vertical maneuvers. You look out your wingtip. Look at your, at your rotation rate, and you want that to be constant. So pulling back on the stick, up and over the top, you're going to get uh, maybe three, four seconds of pull out of this thing, and you're going to achieve about 1,000 vertical feet of zoom over the top. Come off the back pressure slightly over the top of the loop in the pits, and, and as you accelerate down the back side, as you accelerate, you're going to start to add a little bit of left pedal as you, as you pick up speed. So I like to link my feet to the speed. So as, as, I'm, as I'm building speed, I'm going to need neutral, maybe even slight uh, amount of, of, of right rudder. And I'm sorry, right, so slight amount of left pedal. And then as I decelerate and I zoom up over the top, I need a slight amount of right pedal. So if I'm thinking slow speed, think a little bit of right rudder. If I'm thinking high speed, I'm thinking a little bit of left pedal. And those things will work together for you and that'll keep the nose tracking straight. So those are the basics of flying the pits. Uh, Go fast, pull back on the stick and make the airplane do what you want it to do and it will respond uh, in kind. The next maneuver that, that I do with the pits is the hammerhead. Getting that airplane exactly vertical is critical and it does a beautiful hammerhead. The pits may be uh, I believe it is the best aerobatic airplane that can make the most beautiful, perfect hammerhead uh, bar none. I think it even does a better job than the monoplane. So some guys might disagree with me, but once you get vertical in this thing, hold that vertical attitude, look out the left side of the airplane, keep your wingtip perpendicular to the horizon. You're zooming up, you're slowing down. As you slow down, remember your right pedal. You're going to need a little right rudder as you slow down. As you get all the way up to the top and your airspeed's just about you know, approaching 40 knots or I'm sorry, 40 miles per hour, airspeed's decaying below, below 50 and going to the zero, zero point. You're going to kick in the left pedal with right stick. So neutralize the stick at the top. You got a little bit of right pedal in there right at the top. And at the very last second, it's pedal to the floor on the left side, left pedal, right stick, go. Hit it at the same time. The plane will fall beautifully to the left. When you're ready to recover, neutralize the stick full and opposite right pedal momentarily. Neutralize the pedals, center everything. You're going straight down. Check your wingtips. Make sure you're perpendicular with the ground and you accelerate straight down back to 150, 160 miles per hour and then tighten up your stomach and then pull out. Now, what's the deal with the tighten up? Um, Pulling G's is, is part of flying a pits and it's a plus six and minus five G airplane. Six G's is a lot. And anybody who, who's been flying 
any fighter planes or uh, has been in any other aerobatic planes knows what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, it's something that you got to be aware of and something that you need to practice and, and train yourself. So as you're driving in your car today, you can, you can do this. Take a nice deep breath. You tighten up your stomach muscles as if someone's going to punch you in your stomach and, and kind of hold your breath, stomach muscles tight. Let the air out slowly through your nose and then inhale again through your mouth while you're keeping the stomach muscles tight. Don't let them relax. So what we're trying to do is, is we flex these stomach core muscles in our in our abdomen area and our leg muscles, our thigh muscles. I, I use my stomach primarily and my thighs. So stomach first, thighs, crank them down, keep the stomach muscles and thighs flexed during the entire time prior to the pull, not, be, not after, but actually prior to the pull, flex those muscles so that you're ahead of the game. So that when you pull back on the stick, your body's preloaded, it's ready. So I like to think of pulling G's as a time when I'm about ready to lift some weights. So if you're getting ready to lift 250 pound dumbbell off the floor, you can't just go over there after you've been, you know, uh, you know, sitting down, you know, having a, having a soda and just go over and lift the thing. You got to get over there. You got to think about what you're going to do. You got to take a few deep breaths, get your body saturated with some oxygen. You got to flex your muscles, deep breath, tighten your stomach, tighten, you know, flex your thighs, get down there, flex your arms and your shoulder, and then you lift, correct? So what you're doing is, is you're getting your body ready to exert energy. And that's what you're doing when you're pulling G's is exerting a lot of energy. You're going to start weighing up to four, five, six times the force of gravity, which means your body will feel four, five, six times its normal body weight. Well, you're not carrying that body weight around, but the blood is trying to drain out of your head and pool in your feet. And that makes it really tricky for you to enjoy this experience. So, so what you want to do is, is tighten up your stomach muscles before you pull. G's in a pits will be no problem. The plane has, has way more strength than, than the pilot does in many ways. So you want to be ready for it and you want to bring the G's on smooth and constant. Um, I don't take the stick and yank it full aft all the way into my, my lap. And I don't, from high speed, I don't want to over G the airplane. So when you're going really fast, be cautious with how much back stick or forward stick you do because you can get negative G's when you go forward. That's the opposite thing. We'll talk about that next. But the back pressure is where you can over G yourself and possibly black yourself out or injure your, yourself. And one of the things that, that you can injure is your neck. If your head's in the wrong spot and then you pull a bunch of G's, you can get your head kind of cockeyed. And, and before you know it, you can pull your head in the wrong direction and give yourself a kind of a crooked neck, a pinched nerve in your neck and give yourself a little injury. So try to avoid that by being ready, head straight, get your body ready, tighten up your stomach, smooth and easy, and only bring on the G's that you need to to get the job done. That's what I treat it as. Yes, I could pull more G's. Doesn't really add more fun to it for me. And it doesn't bring any more fun to our clients. So when we go up and we fly with people, we want it to be fun for them. So try really hard not to make it make it harder on them than it needs to be. So smooth and easy, gentle. You want them to come back smiling and not with a, uh, uh, a crooked neck and a, and, a, and, a, and a bag of barf. That's just not fun. 
All right, negative Gs. What's the deal with negative? Well, now it's time to crank down that seatbelt a little more. So if, it, if you thought it was snug before, put a few more clicks on the left hip. Get it really tight now because now we're going to fly it inverted. And the way to go inverted for your first time, if you've never done it before, is to, is to build up some speed, just like you're going to do a roll, 140, 150 miles an hour. Gently pull back on the stick. Bring the nose up nice and high above the horizon. Start your roll. In this case, let's roll to the right. So we'll start moving the stick to the right, to the right, to the right. And as you're rolling right, you'll start adding top rudder, which is your left pedal. So we're rolling right stick, right stick, right stick, left rudder, left rudder, left rudder, forward stick, forward stick, forward stick. And once you're inverted, capture the horizon with the top wing laying on the horizon from, from, this, from the rear seat, from the cockpit perspective, and forward pressure on the stick and freeze it there. Take a nice deep breath, relax, and totally relax your body. So now when you're inverted, the negative Gs are now on you. So when you're sustained inverted, you feel now minus one. All of your body weight will be hanging from your lap belt onto your hips. So so you want to totally relax, let the blood simmer down into where it's going to go, which is all up into your head, and try to just get comfortable there and relax. There's not much comfortable about negative Gs. And this is the easiest way for you to... to to get used to it, to see what it feels like, that's minus one. Fly around for a little while, as long as you can, you know, maybe five, 10, 15 seconds, and you'll start to build an, a tolerance for it and get better at it over time. So so that's how negative Gs work. Back to upright. If you want to roll back to the left, you just roll left stick, left stick, left stick with left pedal, left pedal, left pedal. And as you come back to neutral, neutralize the stick, back to a uh, little bit of right pedal, retrim it, put the Trim back from the nose up position, back to neutral, and you're good to go. The last maneuver I teach in the pits and show somebody for their first time in a ride with me in the pits would be a spin. Now, I would evaluate how they've done so far. Did they enjoy the rolls? They did a great job on the rolls? Great. Did they enjoy the loops? Yeah, they really enjoyed the loops. That was great. Did they enjoy the hammerhead? Yeah, they did pretty good on the hammerhead, but they felt a little queasy, eh, so we took a break. And then the... uh the next maneuver we've done is fly it inverted for just a few seconds to see what, the, what that felt like and how they liked it. If they liked it, we'd do the last maneuver. If they didn't like it, we might decide we don't want to do the spin today. But let's say they liked it. So we're going to go for the spin. Get up to a nice safe altitude. Check your, um, check your fuel state. The, the pits, as it burns gas... You don't want to be doing uh, a lot of spins with low fuel. And uh, I'll tend to fly this airplane with 23 gallons of gas on every flight. Top it all the way up. And make sure you've got your your fuel cap completely down and secure. Uh, Skip Stewart would remember the time when uh, that that top, that, that's another story. But keep that, that top cap all the way down and locked. Otherwise, uh, that top cap could come loose, which would not be good. So, uh, so full gas. And then as you burn fuel throughout the flight, you're, you're going to start to notice your CG goes slightly aft. If you do spins late in the flight, you want to do them uh, uh, with 10 gallons or more in the main tank. If it's less than that and you have somebody heavy in the front seat, you may consider uh, not doing them or you may just want to do one turn and, and head back. But the later in the flight doing the spins, uh, the more critical it is on the fuel. So anyway, so we're up at high altitude now. We're at 5,500 feet. We're going to go for a spin in a pits. What's it like? Well, wings are level. Um, the trim is set. A little bit of nose-up trim. Pedals are neutral. And throttle, retarded. Bring it back to maybe, you know, 17 inches. I, I may not want to go to full idle on this one. I'm just going to bring it back to reduced power, like 
17 inches. Um, 2,400 RPM is where it was at. And of course, that's going to come back as the throttle comes back. So power is way back, stick neutral. Um, I tend to... Uh, to uh, pull the circuit breaker on the on the stall warning. I don't want to hear it while we're, we're doing this because I want to teach somebody through this. So we're going to feel the stall. We're going to know where we're at. We're doing stalls here. We're doing spins. And I don't need to hear the chirping sound in my headset to make it difficult for me to communicate with the, with the student I'm trying to teach and it, and it drives them crazy and it's hard for them to hear. So I pull that. Well, now the plane's slowing down. You're going to get the airplane slowed down to... Uh, below 60 miles an hour, and you're going to start to feel a little rumble, a little onset of the stall as you reach critical angle of attack. Something that's really cool about a pits is the top wing will stall before the bottom wing. And that's because the top wing is set with a slightly more uh, angle of incidence. In other words, the top wing has a little more nose up bite to it than the bottom, maybe a half a degree, maybe one degree. I'll have to ask Danny Adams what it is, actually. But it's a slight nose, uh, a little more angle of incidence on the top wing, so you get a little stall, a little rumble, a little indication of what's happening on the wings before the bottom one stalls at the same time. Beautiful design. So we get the little rumble. We feel just a little nibble. And as you feel that, the stick's going to come straight back smoothly again. Full aft stick, full left pedal. No aileron. Let's not put any left aileron or right aileron. We, we'll t- we could talk about that later, but a, a, a straight, normal, upright spin to the left will be full aft stick, full left pedal, and hold it for a full rotation, maybe two rotations. And the stick's back. We're looking left. We're spinning to the left. There's one turn. Here comes one and three quarters turn, and we're going to simultaneously bring the stick neutral and full and opposite right pedal. So right pedal is being deployed and the stick is coming to neutral and slight forward pressure. And what that's gonna do is it's gonna get the nose down, get some airflow over the wings and stop the rotation all at the same time. Now the throttle is pretty far back and if you wanted to accentuate the the recovery, we'd roll the throttle to idle during the recovery. So throttle idle, stick back, full left pedal, Spin one and three quarters turns, neutral stick, full and opposite right pedal, push slightly forward, get the nose down and accelerate. And as the speed starts to increase past 100, power's coming back in, stick's coming back to neutral, and check your altitude and see how much altitude you lost in your two-turn spin. I'm venturing to guess it was somewhere in the uh, 500 foot per turn, so it's 1,000 maybe up to uh, 1,400 or 1,500 feet for the two-turn spin in altitude loss. If it was any more than that, it did something wrong. So so that's the spin. That's what I do. After I get through that profile, I would take someone and uh, say, hey, how you feeling? Do you maybe want to try something a little more extreme? And if they give me an, a resounding yes, that would be fantastic. I'd love that. It's my birthday. I want to do it. I feel great. We would do a... Uh, a Lohm Shavak, and I just read it today, which is fun. I, I've been telling people for years that a Lohm Shavak is the Czech word for headache, and they corrected, somebody corrected, says, no, that's exactly wrong. It is actually a Slavic word for very, very stiff drink. In either case, the outcome is the same. The, the, the tumbling maneuver is uh, a beautiful maneuver, and it looks as if the airplane 
tripped and fell. So the headache and the stumbling both equate to what the maneuver is that that we equate to a gyroscopic tumble. And the way I set that up in the pits is I run the RPM higher. I run it back up to 2,500 RPM. I run the throttle wide open again. Now I'm going to be 25 inches of manifold pressure. I'll dive down, accelerate, bring that nose up nice and high, 45 to 60 degrees nose up, let the speed decay to about 100, stick forward and left while I step simultaneously on full and uh, opposite right pedal. So sticks going full and and forward and left into the forward left corner of the of its range and the right pedal goes in full right rudder and the nose is yawing right while the nose is tucking and the thing does a forward somersault beautiful maneuver it's a minus you know two maneuver minus two g maneuver beautiful it's a great it's my finale move it's something that that people enjoyed and usually usually got a lot of great uh great comments afterwards but i don't do it unless i feel that they can handle it so that is an experience with me in the pits. I, I hope you enjoyed it. And um, I love flying that airplane. I've got 1,200 hours in the pits. Uh, I flew it for the better part of 20 years. I've, I've experienced many, many wonderful uh, people with it. I've given them beautiful uh, experiences in the pits, you know, doing, you know, aerobatics. And, uh, and I never really flew across country. Uh, I can explain, how, you know, I'll give you a cross country uh demo with it. You know, I, I did bring it back one time from the East Coast when I first purchased the aircraft, which you heard in the last episode, to the West Coast. I flew it uh, with its limited fuel range situation. It doesn't have a lot of uh, range. So literally, if you're going to fly it cross country, it only carries 23 gallons of gas in the main tank and five gallons in the ox tank. So that's 28 gallons of gas. And the thing burns 14 and a half gallons an hour and you start to see, see the limits of, of how far you can go, maybe you know, 150, 200 miles per, per leg. Um, when I flew it across the country, I'll, I'll pull up the, the flight plan. I believe it was like 26 landings to get it across the country. I landed almost every hour. There are certain places that don't have an airport two hours out, so you'd have to land short. And, and, and it's a tricky airplane to move cross country. And I'm sure Michael Wiskus would be able to to vouch for that how hard it is to move the pits while you're doing an air show circuit but for what i used it for local flights only uh i go out 25 nautical miles and or 25 statute miles and i come back to to fullerton out and backs that's what it does best out to a practice area and return another thing you need to think about with this airplane is it's it's useful load how much weight can it carry well, it grosses out. Its max gross weight is, is 1,700 pounds. And in, in the aerobatic category, on the C model now, now the Bs, it's a little bit lower, 475-pound useful load versus 550. The C model allowed me to carry more weight, but I couldn't carry five extra gallons of gas. So what I did have to do is carry 23 gallons of gas in the main. There's 138 pounds of fuel, in other words, in the main tank. If you carried smoke oil, you'd carry 30 pounds of smoke oil, five gallons of oil underneath that fuel, which gives me 168 pounds of gas on board. Then me, and I only weigh 145 pounds. So that allowed me to carry as heavy as I could fit into the front seat of the pits with a parachute. And the plane can carry up to 267 pounds in the front seat with me. 
with a, a normal size pilot of 170 pounds, the heaviest person you could carry in the pits would be 212 pounds. So even though the parachute can carry 250, 245 actually, you could only carry 212 to stay within the limits of the airplane uh, and be street legal. Well, you guys, this has been a lot of information on the Pitts S2C. Uh, you feel free to, to scroll back and, and listen to some of the details, maybe of the aerobatic section. Uh, that's that's my most fun part. The actual operation of the aircraft kind of comes second nature to me. I, I don't really think too much about how to do it uh, on a on a flight by flight basis. It, it becomes an extension of you. This aircraft is really designed to just become a part of you. The more in tune you become with this aircraft, the more fun it is to fly. The more you fly it, the better you get. And, you know, 1,200 hours is a lot of of flight time in a pits, considering most of our flights are between 30 and 40, maybe 45 minutes. So so that's like 2,500 flights of of experience in it, 2,500 landings in it, uh, 2,500 takeoffs. Each one is, is... is a little different, but I try to get in a groove, get into something that feels very routine for you. The more routine it is, and the more you can hone that skill, the better you'll get and the more confidence you'll gain. This has been an awesome long episode, but uh, hopefully you've enjoyed uh, learning about the pits. And as my dad would say, keep on flying. Next episode will be episode four, uh, where we're going to discuss flight training. Uh, I'm going to give you some insights as to as to what's what it's going to feel like, what it's going to be like, uh, what kind of commitment it's going to take, how much it's going to cost, how hard is it going to be. So uh, there's a little sneak preview of what, uh, what, what the next episode is going to be. Also, I'd like to offer you guys an opportunity to write in uh, to me at takingflightwithrocket.com at gmail.com. I've, I've got a new email address to allow folks to uh, allow you guys to interact with me and, and ask me questions of something that you might want to know that I would know something about in the aerobatic aircraft ownership operation of um, flying world. And if I don't have the answer, I will find it for you. So that's taking flight with rocket at gmail.com. And Uh, I'll be happy to answer questions. I'll be starting to incorporate those into uh, future episodes. So again, uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Keep on flying. You've been listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. (laughs) 